Welcome to another Keel Hall Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Logan, and we've got a lot of Sea of Thieves news to cover today, so tie yourselves to the mast and hold fast. Ahoy there, pirates. I hope you had yourselves a good week and a good weekend. I know I did. This week, we got a surprise patch a little earlier than expected with some interesting things to come to it, and I got a chance to interview Aaron Picaroon Nielsen from Rare, formerly a community member of one of us. It was such a long interview though, I'm going to have to split that interview up into different episodes so you should be getting some bonus episodes this week beyond just this episode. All that and more in this week's episode of Keel Hall Podcast. First up on today's docket, let's talk about the patch and the weekly update video that we got this last week. So, if you didn't notice, we did get patch 2.0.4, and with this came a lot of interesting changes to the game. Namely, something that I think has been very controversial with the community, as the capstan changes are something that I think a lot of people went too far to remove the, the dropping of the anchor. So if you're out there and you're in the world, the capstan used to drop when hit by a cannonball. This is no longer the case. In fact, if you are out there and the cannons uh, from an island or from another player hit the capstan, it will still knock off the actual pegs to raise and lower the, uh, the, the capstan, but the capstan will not drop the anchor. And I know a lot of people, including myself, were hoping to see some kind of balance with this and not just completely remove the mechanic altogether. Uh, I did appreciate that the, that the capstan dropping from a cannon shot was viable to stop a ship when you didn't have any cursed cannonballs, especially something in arena. However, I do think that it needed to be tweaked a little bit as getting hit with the uh, cannonballs on a sloop because most of the um, pirates, uh, most of the most of the skeletons on islands tend to target either the ship or the person with the helm being right next to the capstan on a sloop. It did tend to make it a lot more difficult for solo sloopers to survive uh, getting hit by cannon shots from oncoming fire from islands or from uh, uh, skull forts, things like that. And to make it a little bit easier for them, they decided to remove the um, remove the mechanic that actually drops the anchor. If this was something that I think would uh, would have done well on some testing on the the insider feedback, I think this is something that would be a little bit nicer to have some number of hit requirements, kind of like with the masts, where uh, hitting the mast three times is what you have to do to be able to knock down a mast or to use a powder keg uh, on them. And same with the same with the the capstan. I think that that amount of damage is kind of the sweet spot where yes, one shot should be able to knock off some of the pegs on the capstan, but uh, three shots is what's required to actually drop it. And in a sense, thinking that the cannons themselves should be weakening the strength of the capstan before it actually does fall. With it not being able to, to to drop the anchor at all, it really does make it a little bit harder to uh, to tactically stop another ship 
with just cannonballs instead of just regular cursed cannonballs, especially in Arena. I know that the team listens uh, to the community and that they, that they have the opportunity to change this at any time. So I would love to see a change or some, some tweaking to be done either to the AI for skeletons, which this seems to be the main complaint is that uh, a lot of people were, were having trouble with uh, AI skeletons and dealing with the, the precision that they have. And this is something that they have tweaked in the past. They have tweaked the accuracy of long shots from skeletons on islands uh, before. And if that's something that they can change uh, in the past, then I don't see why we can't maybe take a look at the AI and how accurate it is or what it ha what it tries to target and see if we can work around the mechanic of the capstan damage. Uh, un understandably, it's a lot quicker to turn off uh, the, the anchor to be able to drop once it gets hit by a, a cannon versus trying to adjust the algorithms that make up the AI targeting for skeletons on all the different different things that skeletons can uh, or all the different places that skeletons can shoot from uh, on islands and skull forts and ships and stuff like that so I, I I look forward to having more of an open dialogue about this change with rare so that we can kind of work out the pros and cons of it and see if there's other workarounds that can come in the future that we're willing to wait for uh, so they have time to kind of work on that development aspect of it. Some of the other changes that came in with this patch include a big change to the first tall tale in adventure mode that helps kind of make it easier for people first getting into the game. They moved the book from a barrel to a stool to make it a little more easier to, to kind of run up and see that it's not um, just a, a part of the atmosphere, that it's actually a tall tale and that you have to, to vote on it instead of accidentally trying to run up to a barrel and loot it. Uh, in the book itself, they actually made a change to some of the tactics as well as the clarity of these symbols for the puzzle vault to make a little more understanding of what you should be looking for once you first get into that puzzle vault. They've also added a full map that helps you kind of navigate to that unmarked island where the magpie's wing is located. Uh, something that I'm really glad to see just kind of give people a little better understanding of the language that they're going to be using when it comes to working out these kind of puzzles. And they also went in and made some changes to the arena, which I think is something that a lot of people are pretty happy with so far. In the arena, when you were done with a match, you would typically be uh, set up with the same crews that you were fighting before. And any crews that dropped out would get filled in as a result of matchmaking. But now, once you actually complete an arena match, you'll actually get completely new crewmates, uh, or not crewmates, you actually keep your crewmates, unless you don't want to. And in, in that case, you should probably get rid of them and get new friends. Uh, but you'll actually be fighting different crews in the matchmaking process. So you aren't going to be completely set up against pirates that are not to the standard that you that you saw last game. They'll be completely fresh and you'll, you won't have any idea of who you should keep an eye out for or who you should go for in the arena. All right, pirates. So there are also a slew of changes that came in with this patch. So I'm gonna try and shotgun through a majority of the ones that I think you'll find interesting. So commendations for the hunter's call and the sea dogs is now live. You you can find them by talking to Duke the Dark Lord and handing over 30 doubloons 
per level. That is a full level regardless of what rank you currently are. Two of the barrels previously used for bananas have been removed from the sloop. I hope you appreciate the reclaimed space and head out to the Ikea Islands to pick up something that will be easy to assemble but still completely unnecessary. Feeding a pig no longer heals the player. To heal yourself, you must first kill the pig. You must then cook the meat and then eat the meat to heal yourself. Skeletons no longer appear to get their weapons stuck in their skull when switching to a banana, which now fixes their head cannon. The skeleton fort key now has the appropriate pirate chat options, which is nice because some of the things they were saying before were completely inappropriate. Players reaching the limits of the Devil Shroud should no longer find themselves becoming stuck in server migration. They will still be stuck without a ship. Players should no longer find missing textures inside the pirate hideout tunnels beneath Ancient Spire Outpost because something isn't really missing if you found it. Players should no longer find themselves being able to swim into the air after fishing in island pools because such a thing is ridiculous and shouldn't be possible in this pirate game with magical skeletons. We can't all be Peter Pan. Skeleton captains and lords that use combat dialogue should now correctly stop speaking, screaming, or wailing once they are defeated. They still haven't learned any other catchphrases and are still thus Bond villains. I did want to take a quick moment just to mention some of the changes that I noticed on a recent adventure out to Tribute Peak and the Shores of Gold to defeat the Gold Hoarder. Uh, thankfully, if you go out there, you will now find that some of the pirates have left behind some things that are very useful for us other pirates. Namely, the coin vault in the middle of the island where you go to typically uh, turn in the vault coins that you get after uh, completing each north, south, east, west vault. There is on the north side of that section a new ladder that makes it a lot more accessible to get back to the vault after completing the Kraken North Vault. Uh, I'm saying vault a lot. Vault, 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 vault. But there have also been some campfires added to the island. So if you do find yourself out there fishing for pondies, killing chickens or pigs, you can use the meat from that to cook up some meat to prepare for the eventual fights that will come later on in the belly of gold. Next up on today's docket, I did want to take some time to talk about some of the changes that could be lore-based that have reached the game files. Over on N13, if you've been with the game for a long time, are probably familiar with this uncharted island. It is the resting place of Merrick's ship, the Killer Whale. Something that has a couple Easter eggs on it already to do with the Merrick's journals that were leftover stories from the hunters or the hungering deep that uh, came last May and or not this last May, I should say May of 2018. And some of the things that are changed over there now are a camp that has uh, been kind of torn down rapidly. And we now know that that camp is something that belongs well actually i should say we didn't know that there was a camp because there wasn't one before but now there is and it looks to be belonging to merrick uh there's a photo painting there's a, a picture frame um of merrick and derrick as well as a drum that is the same cosmetic as the hungering deep drum from uh the hungering deep campaign 
there's a campfire that's broken uh, that you can't use. And it, it makes me wonder if this was something that was added for future content or if this was something to kind of build up more of the lore around Merrick actually having to stay on this uh, deserted island for longer than anticipated setting up camp but that's not the only thing that was changed about this unmarked island now there's actually a grave a shallow grave on the island next to or actually underneath a very tall dead tree and this grave doesn't have a name or uh, any kind of indication about who is in that grave but it's a new addition and i'm kind of wondering like what that has to do with the game like who died and who was buried there and why haven't we heard any news about that typically the way rare works with the the updates to the game these little changes that they make before content usually uh, revolve around the story before the anniversary update some of the patches that we got added things like the magpie's wing as well as uh the morning star uh and names to them so that they kind of uh gave you ideas of of what was coming in future content with this there's not a whole lot to really explain but on the uncharted island on the other half of the island there's um a new ring of circles circles or no i sorry let me rephrase that it's a new uh stone circle that looks like it used to be the foundation for either a building or a tower or a turret something it, it's not like something that's just normal it's it's actually carved stone something that you would expect uh pirates or people to use when trying to build the foundation for some sort of building and it being in a circle suggests that it could be a few things. It could be something left over from the ancient tribes, uh, similar to the, the things that you'll find over on Tribute Peak. Or it could be the remnants of an old turret in the middle of the ocean that was used as a scouting tool for other uh, for, for people that were in Sea of Thieves uh, that has since been torn down or weathered down or however you want to explain it um, and it's it's interesting to see that they're adding stuff to the uncharted island where as a lot of the time they do stuff that is on other islands that they'll send you to uh, for lore and for story purposes so We've had some stuff added in the past, like uh, some of the, the keystones for Tall Tales as well as bird uh, icons in the Devil's Roar when there aren't actually any, uh, any kind of Tall Tales that take you out to the Devil's Roar except for the Morrow's uh, Peak Outpost. So it'll be interesting to see how these all tie together if they do tie together in the future, uh, possibly for future content like new Tall Tales coming to the game now that that seems to have its own section in uh, the reputation pane. As well as uh, those changes to the game, we did get some new Easter eggs. So far, the ones that we found um, are, are four in the world, uh, three of which are from people that I actually know. Uh, the first one being Captain Balzonia got one of his screenshots actually put up as a picture frame in Sanctuary or in the tavern in Sanctuary Outpost. It's of him sitting on his sloop looking out in uh, to a kraken that he escaped. Uh, and he says he actually has a pretty good story for that. The other one is of the Dread Pirate Doug, who is uh, one of the, the main leaders for the race of legends uh, that typically happens on weekends where they have crews go out and race against each other to try and uh, win treasure and, and stuff in the game. 
and he he made a uh, resume for his pirate uh, explaining like all of the different reputation and experience and things that his pirates done and that resume was posted a while back and they actually took that resume and put it up as an actual tacked up uh, uh, piece of paper in the Golden Sands outpost that you'll find uh, next to the the fireplace uh, in that tavern as well and the last one that I know uh, a person of is for Chalk Muju and all of the community members that helped uh, donate to make sure that the uh, model ship that she custom uh, that she custom painted to have the rare sails and look like uh, the the rare ship, um, the Allegiant that was sent out to rare uh, just before anniversary update was um, went live and uh, funny enough there's actually a a really good story to that uh, from rare's perspective in the interview that i had with aaron uh, he talks a little bit about what that was like to to receive just before the anniversary update went live but they went and made a uh, miniature model version of of that ship and put it in the game and you if you head out to the finest trading post you can actually see on a shelf behind the uh, shopkeep there that there is the allegiant model ship as well as some paints and brushes commemorating uh, her uh, work on making it as well as all of the community members that helped pitch in to have that shipped out to rare and if i remember correctly uh the total costs for getting it expedited shipped out there plus uh protecting it and making sure that it was uh made there made it there in one piece was somewhere between seven and eight hundred dollars uh so that was something that a lot of the community really came together uh they they got it made or she made it in time and she was able to get it all put together but then we found out about how much it costs, and that was something that uh, that that actually really was was miraculous to find out just how how well the community came together to donate uh, the money to to be able to get that shipped out to Rare, and to see the video that they posted about actually receiving it was great, and then to hear Aaron's story about it was even better. So that's out there. There is one more of, uh, of, of a, a, a pirate whose uh, kid actually was drawing um, some of the, the islands. It was a Smuggler's Bay, and her drawing is now in the game. And unfortunately, it's one of the few things that I didn't get to hear where this was. Uh, so I haven't gone out to go check it out myself, and I'll probably have to be talking to some friends to see if I can go find it as well, because I did get a chance to go out and visit all of these uh, different Easter eggs in the game. And it's it's really kind of nice because this was something that I got to talking with Aaron about. And you'll you'll hear the story about it as I release the interview um, later on in this episode, but uh, the other half of it as well. And it's so cool that that Rare does this, that Rare actually puts these Easter eggs for community members in the game. And I, I, it's so cool to, to see the actual community members and, and what they, you know, how awesome it is for them to find out about it and to go actually visit it and to see their reaction. Because a lot of them, a lot of them do tend to post their reactions uh, on community sites, uh, social media like uh, Twitter and Reddit and YouTube and streaming on Twitch and Mixer and stuff. So it's, it's a really cool thing that Rare does this. Uh, they don't have to do it. It takes time away from 
well, I, I should say it doesn't really take too much time away from developing it. But, you know, if they can commemorate uh, really positive influences in the community by giving them a small little uh, uh, taste of immortality in the game, then go for it. Because I'm totally happy with all of the friends that I've, I've been able to see over the, the last year and, and bit to uh, to get their their commemoration in the game. It's It's been a, a real joy to see it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yes, there is. Let's get into it. I'm going to see if I can uh, shotgun the last few of the items on today's docket so that they're a little bit shorter uh, and I don't spend too much time on them because this episode is going to be long because it does have about an hour's worth of the two hours, almost three hours worth of, of conversation that I had with Aaron. And like I said, he and I spoke for almost three hours straight um, about uh, uh, just about everything, uh, about his gaming, about the gaming industry, about E3 and Nintendo, about Sea of Thieves, about being at Rare. Uh, we, I really dug deep with, with some of the things with him, and I had a great time. And I want to make sure that I, I get, um, get you guys to that because it was a, a real good conversation. Um, the things that I did want to talk about before uh, I, I get you to that, um, Orlando, Florida is uh, hosting Guardian Con, uh, and there's going to be another arena invitational um, that is in support for St. Jude's Hospital uh, to raise money for, for that, as well as giving the, the competing teams a chance to winning another gold-plated set of uh, Xbox One consoles. Uh, so look forward to that. The team's going to be out in Orlando the weekend of uh, July 5th and 6th. Um, the 6th, ironically, being my birthday, and I will probably be streaming on the 5th uh, So to, to help kind of celebrate that, and then I'll probably be celebrating uh, the 6th off off computer, uh, off stream, yeah, with, the, with, with my wife. Um, there was a, an interesting video that cropped up on Twitter that the uh, the the crew um, of Yolo Cat ninety six managed to kill a megalodon in one shot, and the way they did it was they filled a rowboat with supposedly a hundred powder kegs and three mega kegs, which is roughly about one hundred and ten powder kegs uh and they 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 took the the rowboat out into the ocean into the path of where the megalodon was going to go they shot it right as the megalodon passed one giant explosion later and a meg was dying uh it was really kind of cool to watch and i i didn't get a chance to watch the full video to see just how they did it but i got the gist of it and if you ever want to go kill a megalodon it's going to take some farming a powder keg so i would highly recommend going to keel hall fort i hear it's excellent this time of year and has plenty plenty of powder kegs on a regular basis next part that i wanted to kind of hit on uh if you guys got the halo cosmetics keep an eye out in the future because apparently randy pitchford is interested in working with rare to get some borderlands sea of thieves cosmetics set up uh this was something that i found on twitter shortly after e3 when everyone was talking about the halo cosmetics um and randy pitchford uh tagged joe and said hey let's talk about getting some cosmetics 
done for uh, us. And Joe was as interested and he suggested in the update video that other companies uh, and other people inside the, the community wanted to get some sales and some cosmetics done for their games and their studios as well too. So keep an eye out because we might see some more of those uh, coming our way. Joe went on to talk about their experience at E3 and how it's kind of inspired the studio to try and approach games as a service uh, in a certain way. Um, some of the things that they talked about were um, the, the number of players that are playing and how they've kind of compared themselves to other games as a service that have been long-standing games like uh, World of Warcraft, something that I've been very invested into for, for most of my life. Uh, I, I definitely see where, where they want to go with the studio they want to make this a huge game just like one of those and without having the mmo roots it will definitely be hard to see how they're able to keep the story and content flowing so that they can continue to keep our interest but joe touched on this in the video and said that they want to work out the cadence of content something that is coming out to give us a better idea of when stuff is going to arrive on a regular basis and actually suggests that there are going to be low times with the the game in a sense that you don't necessarily have to feel like you're constantly playing the game and that if you want to take a break that you actually have an idea of when content would be coming so you know when a good time to jump back in to check that out is something that is very very uh similar to the way that world of warcraft works a lot of people when a patch comes out, they'll come in, they'll grind a bunch, get all the new content, work their work themselves up to the, the end game. And then after a while, the content tends to go a little stale as they're working on new con content. And people will typically drop out, unsub, and then wait for the next content update to come back into the game. But since Sea of Thieves is free, we don't really have to worry about that. Uh, actually, I sorry, let me, let me just clarify. Sea of Thieves content updates are free for now. Uh, we don't know if they're ever going to charge for those. I don't think that they want to, and I don't think Microsoft is pushing them to do that. So for what I mean is, is that content uh, updates will be uh, available for everyone when they come out without having to pay any kind of you know, pass or uh, season pass or, or, or content update things. You know, That's what I mean by that. Some of the other things that they uh, that that came in with this last week, uh, Mike Chapman celebrated his birthday on June 21st, and I really hope he had a good time. A lot of people were wishing him happy birthday, as well as myself. It's been a true pleasure to get to talk with him and get to spend time picking his brain and discussing ideas with him uh, through Twitter and. He has put so much of his life and love into this game so far, and it's such a good time to be able to just wish him happy birthday. So June 21st for next year, be ready. Uh, Shelly Preston was a senior or a lead senior designer for the game. She is now a lead designer. So she actually just got a promotion. It's really awesome to see her getting a, a little more um, a, a responsibility with the game to be able to help kind of shape how some of the mechanics and design goes in to making this game that we love. So congratulations, Shelly. It's been so great seeing you uh, in, in the world and in Sea of Thieves and be able to, uh, to see all the different things that you work on with the game. And I can't wait to see like how that goes in the future as well too.
The last thing that I wanted to toss out to the studio, um, as Joe had been talking about some of the things that they wanted to work on, uh, and with the new cadence that they're trying to work on making sure that content is coming on a regular basis, there was one thing that I thought of uh, today when I was, I was putting together the show notes that I was thinking would be really kind of cool to see. Uh, so the idea that I was thinking revolved around one of the tall tales and I believe it's number three, where you get the wood plank from out of uh, the Briggsy's chest that has the cutout for some of the different landmarks on islands. And you have to kind of look on the back of the wood plank to see what the, the letter and the number uh, coordinates are for the island that you want to go to. If you're familiar, awesome. You already know what I'm talking about. And the thing I wanted to see if this was possible to do is replace messages in a bottle with some of these wood planks, uh, create some more of them and then add them as something that you would find as a tangible item on a beach. Something that would give you the opportunity to run up, pick up the wood plank, take a look at it, see if it's close by or see if it's something that you want to do. And then if you wanted to, you could always toss it back in the ground and not accept that quest. But if you did, then you would have to hold on to that piece of wood. That piece of wood would then become a tangible voyage, something that is still very elusive in our questing system. We have quest items, but we don't have tangible quests uh, outside of being able to have something on a quest wheel. And that plank, for all intents and purposes, is a quest item. But if they could find a way to take that plank, that piece of wood, and turn it into an actual quest, something that is accepted, once you pick it up and flip it over, it will populate in your quest wheel. But if you drop it or lose it, after a certain amount of time, that quest would then disappear from your wheel. I still have a very big wish that Rare is working on a way for us to be able to, to discard messages that are in our quest wheel that we don't have something that you vote on for. Having messages in a bottle are still uh, still frequent in barrels, but not so frequent that you find yourself completely overwhelmed by them. And they they seem to have put a, a bit of a pause on accepting them when you go to kind of spam and grab a bunch of stuff. But I, I love the idea of there being a tangible quest item that isn't really something that pops up in your quest wheel, but it's still something that you have to keep a handle on to be, and, and I mean that in the, the strictest sense, you have to actually hold on to it to be able to see where you have to go and where the treasure is going to be. And that way, if someone finds that on your ship, if it floats up to the, to the surface, then they would then have a quest that you have and could go and get that treasure. And if the treasure is worth it for them, then you might know where they're going and could actually head back to take it back from them. Or at least the treasure and kill them as a result. Alright pirates, next up on today's docket is going to be my interview with Aaron Nielsen Pickeroon uh, over at Rare Studios. He used to be a community member uh, and a deckhand on the forums. He still is technically a deckhand, but he has since started working for Rare. And because of that, he's got a very interesting story to tell. And we took about two hours and 40 minutes uh, and recorded all of our conversation, not only about him and uh, his experience with gaming and 
growing up, but the decisions that led to him getting to the point where he's at now. Uh, he does a great job explaining it, and you'll probably find some interesting facts out about him. And there's actually a Easter egg in the game for him as well, too, that we talk about, too. So if you want to find out a little bit more about him and some of his adventures with Sea of Thieves, I highly encourage you to listen to all of it. The first hour is going to be on this episode following this bit of the, the podcast. The rest of it is something that I'm going to be releasing later on this week uh, so that you get a chance to listen to this and then you get the second uh, or third parts um, later on. I haven't quite decided how much I want to release in one chunk. Uh, I know a lot of people listen to other podcasts and I typically keep these things around an hour to an hour and a half depending on how much content there is. But with two hours and 40 minutes, I can't justify putting it all in one chunk. So I'm going to be releasing the rest of the interview as bonus episodes throughout this week so that you can listen to them at your leisure. Um, this first bit should be a little bit about uh, some interesting things that he did back home before actually moving to uh, England. And then the later half will be talking more about the community, uh, the game, uh, the, the actual... We talk a lot about the game industry and then we talk a lot about Nintendo as well too because uh, we found out that he and I are actually huge Nintendo fans as well too. So we spend a good portion of our conversation really drilling into our thoughts and hopes as well as uh, some of the things that we like and dislike about not only the gaming industry but the E3 presentation for Nintendo as well too which is why I'm going to take some of that stuff and actually put it at uh, the bonus episode so that you aren't listening to too much of the interview that doesn't necessarily relate to Sea of Thieves. But because he's a community member and because he's a rare employee and because we had so many things in common, we just we really could have spent all day just chatting about stuff. Um, so we cut it off after two hours and 40 minutes and uh, I'll, I'll have the rest out for you later on. Alrighty, so joining me now is Aaron from Picaroon, and he is, uh, he, he was, you might actually know Mr. Nielsen from Twitter, and if you don't, then there's something going on that's just wrong, but he is actually joining me today and was a, uh, a deckhand for a, a very long time before eventually picking up everything and moving to the UK to become a community and design intern for Rare. And I, I couldn't be more thrilled to have him chatting with me today. Aaron, how are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. I got I enjoyed listening to someone summarize my uh, <laughs> my last couple <laughs> of years in in like a short paragraph. That was uh, that was interesting. Yeah. Thanks for that. Well, I, I mean, the whole reason why I wanted to bring you on um, one just because it's so awesome that you've gotten a chance to to go from community member to employee, and I I want to dive into that, but also 
you've you've made some pretty cool stuff in the last year uh, regarding other companies and stuff as far as like Nintendo and whatnot. And I wanted to kind of bring that to light because a lot of Sea of Thieves fans may recognize you for the work that you've done as far as like the coins that you sent to Rare uh, and, and your, your Easter egg over in Cannon Cove. But I don't know that everyone kind of follows you with all of your other endeavors and whatnot. And you've done some pretty cool stuff. Um, so, cheers. Uh, yeah, I guess it's one of those things like um, the, you know, working alongside Rare and, and being like heavily invested in Sea of Thieves doesn't mean that I can't then involve, like, you know, involve myself in other uh, competitions or games companies as well. So yeah, no, like anything creative, man, I'm, I'm kind of there for it. Like that's, that's my jam. That's what I like. Yeah. It's what gives me a kick. So, you know, definitely we can dive into that sort of stuff. Where do we, where do we want to talk? Do you want to start from the start? Like the early days, the beginnings as it were. Like David Copperfield. I want to, I want to start (laughs) from the beginning when Aaron was born, Aaron growing up yep. i i am i don't actually know so but i imagine that you were probably uh, a child of the 80s uh growing into your your teens in the 90s i was actually a i'm a i'm a 90s kid i was born 1990 so like i lived the 90s oh, man. Wow. that's my um okay yeah, yeah. so so they're 29 turning 30 next year oh boy let me um, let me tell you right it, now just starting at your 30s uh everything is going to start aching and you're ne- you're going to realize just <laughs> how little energy i was, I was hoping i was hoping you were going to say life starts getting really good like that's where it's that's where life begins but you you went with the with a painful route so <laughs> i'm just being just being brutally <laughs> honest with you i i well i mean it, it's one of those things like i'm just counting the days that i lose <laughs> the hair like my hair is starting to slowly recede and i i look forward to the day that i i wake up with nothing on top so yeah oh man aging it's great (laughs) but um yeah i would i would kill i guess like a I'd, I'd killed to what's that go, go into? oh i would i would kill to be able to just wake up one day and not have to worry about any hair but the the lackluster <laughs> fluff that's on top of my head now is the the most excruciating reminder of how genetics have gone gone upside down mm-hmm. on me um yeah so, it's uh it's that's why like anytime i get to choose a game character I always make sure i put the the biggest head of hair on them just so i can live through my uh my avatar or my player character <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's uh, all we can do now. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. See, I went the complete opposite route. Like, I, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm dealing with uh, male pot- pattern baldness. I'm going all the way. My pirate's gonna be bald. He's gonna be like the, the, the. Um, oh, I just blanked on his name from Waterworld. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I get who you're talking about. I also yeah. don't recall the name. But yeah. yeah. No, that's, can't remember his name you could like because that, that's kind of getting you prepared isn't it like that's that's you prepping for for what's to happen right like you you get to see yourself in that in that state and be like well this is me now it's, so. it's not too bad it's not too bad yeah. i figure if i start working out now by the time i'm 46 i will have I'll, I'll be it'll be a good 10 years and i'll have uh working working out will get me to the jason statham state that i need to break into the movie industry then and then i can that is a that is an awfully high bar you've set yourself and i appreciate it it's that's uh <laughs> it's it, that's good it's the one that my wife would appreciate <laughs> 
yeah she, yeah she, that's it well you gotta set those goals that's it I, I i can be honest up front that i'm never going to achieve that that level of uh finesse uh <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it at that but um yeah so i guess like like let's cut like majority of that uh from from birth let's cut majority out and we'll we'll go to kind of like the last couple of years um actually no, a bit of insight to to, to me yeah uh I used to, uh, well, I lived in Australia all my life um, in on well the island called Tasmania. Did you really? And um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. like, uh, okay, you know, pretty much, well, nearly as south as you can go. Mm -hmm. But New Zealand is actually a little bit lower than Tassie. Either way, it's um, yeah, it was, you know, small island. And I say small, it it actually does cover a good majority of the UK if you kind of overlay them. But mm -hmm. you know. It's it's kind of an island living. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So lived lived there. You know, did some just low end jobs. Nothing really huge, exciting. Like nothing hugely exciting. Um, then I worked uh, for Apple for a while um, through like a reseller, and um, I did that for about ten years. So that was kind of like my biggest job. Yeah. Um, after after kind of you go through the series of you know, smaller things go, growing up, you get, you know, you do your, like your takeaways and you do like paper routes and all those sort of silly jobs. Right. And then mm -hmm. you start to build up from there. So yeah, my kind of like big boy job um, was yeah working for Apple and I kind of did a few things there. Like I, I was in retail. Um, then I went to management for a bit and from management, then I moved over into uh, a tech. So I became a computer technician. Nice. Um, or, or the official term was ACMT, which is an Apple certified Macintosh technician. Okay. Which is a really long way of saying a glorified tech. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I did that for, for many years. Um, but that was kind of like to pay the bills, right? Like that was just work. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a good job. Like it get, it, taught me a lot of skills and and got me through a lot of things so it helped me buy a house it, it you know got got me through a lot of the big big adult things that happen um yeah but the passion for me was always creativity so i was kind of like going through school i was i was learning to become a uh, a cinematographer so i was very heavily invested in video media um yeah did a lot of like uh youtubing and and stuff like that like i mean i'm sure those channels probably still exist somewhere but i pretty much was the, like that was the creative outlet that i would use on the weekends and of like of an afternoon um i've pretty much done as far as like creative mediums go i've pretty much dipped my toe into everything um i've done podcasting photography videography uh graphic design i've done website design i've done like yeah pretty much like if yeah. you if you can think of a section probably the only thing i could say with confidence that i haven't done is music uh i'm just not that way inclined yeah so interesting how that is um yeah right like you kind of get like there's there's some strengths and then there's definitely like weaknesses mm -hmm. um but yeah for me music's one of them the uh yeah so like that was it like i would kind of dip my toe in a project every now and then um and do throughout those 10 years of working for apple every couple of years i'd probably move on to a different type of creative project um to try and see i suppose what fits me like what fits the mold what i actually enjoy doing yeah um the crazy thing about that is like 
games and game design didn't really occur to me until three years ago, four years ago, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So like the, let's go three, probably, probably closer to three. Um, that's kind of where I started uh, doing game design for a board game and a card game kind of back to back. Interesting. Um, my friends and I were really into board games. And so we kind of were like, well, why don't we make our own? And this is kind of where Kickstarter was really popular. Yeah. And so we were like, yeah, we could, we could do that too. Right. Like we, we can be a Kickstarter. Yeah. So, um, obviously that went nowhere. Um, <laughs> we started the project. It kind of was a paper prototype. We, we mucked around with that for some time and it just kind of fell on the wayside. So, but, but the, the developing of a game, super fascinating to me i loved mm. it um it was just uh, it, it kind of was a bit of everything as far as the the creative elements like it has a bit of graphic design in there it has like uh creative thinking and storytelling and all that sort of stuff as well so yeah i started sitting there going like holy shit like games can essentially tick a lot of these other boxes that i've been doing before but it puts it in a place that i'm like having a lot of fun with and obviously as well big gamer i love video games yeah but it just never occurred to me that you could make them as well yeah like it's so you kind of um oh sorry you go oh no no i was i was actually because you you bring up uh being a big gamer and i i mean a lot of people know you as as far as like sea of thieves goes and uh your, your love for rare how far back does your gaming go yeah i um grew up on nintendo mm-hmm. so like that that's as i guess for many that's that's where it's at like for me i was a 90s kid so by the time i was actually able to play games um i had a nintendo console in in my hand like like controller in my hands nice um my my older brother uh became the playstation head so Mm -hmm. he pretty much would always get the playstation console i would always get the nintendo console um we we kind of shared like we didn't really have a very good sharing uh, uh like mindset but I did get to kind of dabble in PlayStation's world and my brother would come over and play in, in Nintendo's world. But we were, we were very kind of uh, distinct in those two areas. Like we, we divided. So yeah, for me, like Super Nintendo was kind of starting point, mm-hmm. um, moved into N64, then into GameCube, which is the best console ever made um, I will, to this day. I will agree with you on that. It is beautiful, um, and tiny and elegant. In that it's just like everything about it, like the aesthetic, just just the games, games library on it was also very good. It just had a, a criminally short lifespan. Yes. Um, and it's it's like the console that I collect to this day. So I have like, th- uh, th- think three or four of GameCube's back home in Australia, um, and I'm trying to kind of slowly make my way through the color color range. Mm, nice. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun one. But yeah, like and and with those consoles, that that kind of put me onto Rare, right? Like mm-hmm. all of Rare's library, the rich history of Rare. Um, but to, if I'm honest with you, the growing up and playing those games, I was the kind of kid that didn't look at the name behind the game like i wasn't sitting there going like i'm gonna like this game because rare made it or i'm gonna like this game because you know developer x made it um i was pretty much like this game looks cool i'm gonna play it yeah but you would see the logo you'd see the logo keep popping up on these screens but i would never look at look at it past that like it 
it, it's kind of one of those things like it's it's a lot different nowadays like people know developers now but back in the the early days of gaming it's like you didn't know who made them you didn't know who was behind them or or cared who was behind them really yeah like well i think it's it's different right yeah i think a lot of that comes down to uh just kind of growing up over time and, and learning you know when when you're a child you you watch the wizard of oz and you think of how fantastical that world is and all the different creatures and people that uh, dorothy is dealing with and it's not until the end of that journey as she progresses through her her ad adventure there that she realizes that everything is just a giant facade for for something else and you know as you're growing up you see all these great games and you just understand that the content is there and it's not until you get older that you start to realize that there are people associated with that content and even deeper that those people work for a company and the, that company has a lineage of of content that you've been enjoying this whole time and i i definitely remember realizing uh at, at one point in my life like every single movie that i loved was tied to steven spielberg and john williams mm. or tim burton yep. and i'm just like man i didn't i didn't realize you know that i love edward scissorhands so much but he also did batman and i love that as well and just seeing all the different films and stuff and i i definitely had that same moment too when i started to pay more attention to who was making the games uh than what the game genres were and it wasn't it, it was mm, exactly because of my childhood that i latched so heavily onto certain franchises um that i started to pay more attention to like you know koji kanda is is the the, the man who made most of my video game music life uh growing growing up <laughs> yeah so no, that's it and I, I guess like as well now the for me shopping for new games i'm i'm kind of actually looking at studios like i'm looking at companies that i know make good games or games that i've enjoyed in the past so like that now as an adult that is how i kind of f like find out about new games like i kind of would be looking forward to these companies whereas like yeah like the child and teenager aaron was pretty much just waiting for the release dates of these games when they came out i would go to the shop look at the wall and say that looks cool grab the game and go mm -hmm. whereas like I guess now in, in this kind of more modern internet age, we, I can, you know, everyone's kind of looking forward at the, the upcomings. Like we all know what's coming through the door. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's interesting, that kind of transitional thing, but yeah, you're right. Like, I guess it's, we're, we're consuming the content at that age, but we don't really care about the makers of those things. Right. And then eventually you start to see the patterns. You start to see, like oh this company keeps making these games or whatever right so yeah yeah like nintendo definitely introduced me to rare but i did not know who rare were or what rare was until much later in life um yeah and even even like with the release of um rare replay that kind of like gave me further education onto rare's history like i was unaware of a lot of the titles that they made before the n64 or like um you know the the kind of more 8-bit uh, or 16-bit side-scrolling stuff. Like I had absolutely not, no idea that that was even in their yeah. in their repertoire, like their it, their library. So super interesting too. Uh, if, if and that just mm. recently I think came out on Game Pass too. Uh, I think this, this uh, last it week did. it did just come out on on for consoles at least. I haven't gotten a chance to play it on uh, PC yet, but I'm hoping that 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 changes. Um, for sure, for sure, that would be cool. So I but um. 
um, so yeah, basically, like all I was going to say is kind of like that's that's where I began, right? Like Nintendo was my push through. Um, so I've enjoyed games because of Nintendo. Um, just just everything they kind of do. Like like Nintendo, although as a company, do a very like a whole bunch of weird things. Yeah. Like they have a lot of weird choices. Yeah. Um, they can do no wrong by me. Like everything they create, as far as a game concept there's always something valuable to take out of their games like even if a game isn't necessarily good um or it doesn't get reviewed well i think that if you look at a nintendo title there's always something or there's an element inside it that is good like there's a a design choice there's something musically awesome about it there's visually it's pleasing like they always have something that you can take away from them um and yeah they're just just their absolute lineage the hi- the history of them is just yeah yeah like mind-blowing they're they're exceptionally good at finding the fun in a game and using that as as the the foundation for where they want to build each ip off of and it's <laughs> it, it really is um it really is beautiful and i know so I, I wanted there's a couple things that i definitely wanted to to talk to you about uh and since we're on nintendo I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit more about your Nintendo Labo uh, contest because I was just floored, ah, floored yep. by this. And if anyone that doesn't know, um, just to give you a little bit of heads up, uh, in Australia, Nintendo was doing a Labo contest for custom Labo creations where you would actually go and build a game uh, using the, the Nintendo um, Labo software and submit your your uh, um, entry and they would judge it based on that. And Aaron, y- you went all out in my opinion. I think you, I think you, you deserve first place for this, but you, thanks, thanks dude. You made a poltergust from Luigi's Mansion I did. with I did. A, an actual functioning vacuum kind of like you used the sensors and the IR uh, sensors on it. You actually made ghosts that you can, you can capture and even like the switch screen itself has uh, a a display to show you how full the vacuum is uh, when you Mm -hmm. actually capture the ghosts. And I want, I'm, I'm just curious, like how much time did it kind of take you to build this poltergeist? (laughs) So, um, yeah, that that competition was a lot of fun, man. Like, uh, that was oh, was it last year or the year before? Oh my gosh, was, I can't remember. It was last um, year for sure, and I want to say that it was okay, um, awesome. Around, it was probably around March to April because that was when their first line of Labo was coming out. And there we they go. Were, so yeah, like, I guess this is one of those things, right? Like, um, the the competition was announced and I was like, I kind of thought to myself, that sounds like a bit of fun. I could probably get in on that. And then the, the, the grand prize was kind of, you know, reason enough to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, being, being able to get like a Nintendo switch console that looked like it was made of cardboard. I was like, um, that, that yes, I'm in. <laughs> so thankfully I'd already picked up Labo um, at this point. Like I, I bought it, to see what it was like i actually um made some of the kits with my nephew uh who really enjoyed that that process so that was very cool nice um and so i already had the kit and i had been tampering and tinkering around with the um toy toy con garage which is mm-hmm. the kind of like the programming uh game 
making aspect of it it's um it's actually quite powerful like it hats off to nintendo they again this is kind of like they always thinking outside of the 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 literal cardboard cardboard box like cardboard box like yeah right like they (laughs) they have taken uh programming language and they've taken um game uh logic and they've made it into kind of like a a bite-sized consumable like easily consumed um uh what what i want to say like a like a program or a a setup so that basically anybody could come in drag a few things on a screen and make games and i think that that was like yeah, extremely powerful. It's kind of like um, a, a WYSIWYG interface where it's like what what you see is what you get. You you move what you need to there and you create what you have to in little blocks and everything's very, yeah. very visual. It's easy to 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 kind of decipher like what's going on. It kind of looks like a like a an electrical uh schematic as far as connecting different yeah, objects. Yeah, that's to it. Each like other. it's all just wires and and um and you know grid boxes and stuff like that so but uh yeah so i was I was kind of like i'd already tinkered with that but i was like okay i've decided i'm gonna make this thing so i sat down and pretty much the the starting point was like just playing with what was in there so yeah i'd throw sounds in and i'd play the sounds and i'd change the key or the note and i'd keep like listening to what was there and based on the sounds i was like how can i build a mechanic around these things because um part of it was like i could probably go and just make the mechanics happen but then like if i can't make it sound like the thing that i'm trying to make i don't think it'll sell or like it won't make sense mm-hmm. so I, I started the the project with sound i was like all right let's find the sounds that i like and things that can push me forward in what i'm actually going to make here because i had no idea wow. um that's where i came across the sound that was kind of like a vacuum cleaner yeah um like it was essentially a high pitched sped up like racing car sound or something. And it just was on repeat. So it kind of made like a cycling sound. Yeah. Um, and then I found the giggles, like the, the really high pitched giggles. And I was like, Oh, that kind of sounds like kind of sounds like a ghost, like a, a laughing ghost. And I was like, okay, so we've got like a vacuum. We've got the ghost. And I instantly thought Luigi's mansion, yeah. right? Like love Luigi's mansion. Um, and I was like, how do I do this? So uh, started off, getting the vacuum cleaner to work via command then i was like cool that works thinking visually on like um, like internally i was thinking okay i've got the sound i need to make it happen in a box right Mm -hmm. and then i was like cool now i can catch the ghosts i've got to make that work inside the box and so the actual making of the game took two days wow two three days maybe um like that that was easy the lengthiest part of that project was making the cardboard box. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. like getting the cardboard together, getting it all to fit, making sure that the triggers work with the game. Yeah. Uh, housing the console in there safely, painting the whole thing. Like it was a lot of dressing and a lot of, uh, yeah, visual fluff. Yeah. Like the, obviously the cardboard itself doesn't, isn't making the game. The game is built into the, the joy con and the, um, and the console itself but when you kind of then throw all those elements together then it feels like an experience yeah so yeah it, it was um it was a lot of fun i yeah unfortunately didn't come first uh i came second place which is still like awesome and hats off to the person who did come first actually um they did quite a good job um I guess. With, with their project but basically the second place win um got me a pair of joy con um that 
feel and look like cardboard. And when I say feel like cardboard, I like legitimately the texture on the on the Joy-Con themselves feels weird. Like it's different feeling oh, um, material. And so when you hold it, it, it very much is like, wow, that kind of looks and feels like cardboard. Huh. Um, so no, no idea how they've done it, but like very cool. Um, and it came with a trophy. So you could connect the Joy-Con to either side of the trophy and they kind of become the handles of the trophy. Oh, that's cute. Uh, which I thought was, yeah, I thought so that's too. That's so adorable. Um, <laughs> And uh, what else? So they, and then they gave me like a certificate and, and kind of like a thank you letter and, and stuff like that. So that was cool. Um, the the trophy and the Joy-Con are securely and safely packed up back in Australia. So I won't be able to see them for some time, but they're, they're there. And um, yeah, again, That's man, cool. like that was a, that was a, a good fun project. And it kind of was a good thing to get into because it was another way of like doing game design, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that was building something from nothing and coming up with an experience. Although, you know, like if you've watched the video, you can kind of see it's a little like, you know, it, it's not overly in depth, but like it's clever and on the moving components, like all the pieces uh, put together creates a thing. So Yeah. And and the interesting thing that I thought about that is, is you, you mentioned something that really kind of made my mind kind of go to a different train of thought. When you talk about how the, the programming itself was very basic, but or not necessarily basic, but very easy to put together over the course of a couple of days. And then it's, it's like, it's like approachable, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and you talked about how, how, how much labor went into um, the making of the game versus the making of the actual boulder gust. It's uh, funny because it made me think about uh, some of the videos that Rares put out recently about their Unity prototypes for Sea of Thieves mm-hmm. and how everything that they have in there is very rudimentary. It's very basic so that they're not wasting too much time making a lot of stuff that they don't necessarily need to test out mechanics. And both of you kind of went around the same approach of you know, getting an idea for what you want as far as like building it off of your your case sound, in their case, um, a pirate game. And once they had the prototypes and once you had those prototypes, you, you knew that the philosophy uh, of what you're doing was sound and you built on all of the all of the decorations on top of that to really kind of flesh it out and. It, it, it's interesting to see the parallels between what you did with that contest and just that one simple uh, uh, setup so that you could you could you know try and win a, a really cool uh, grand prize and what we what the reason why we're coming together today to talk which is sea of thieves and how how it's able to kind of say like even even starting out as a very basic uh, game designer all you necessarily need from the beginning is a small uh, little little bits of foundation to kind of build upon. And then once you have something that's fun and interesting, then you can kind of build up on on top of that to actually yeah. make a full-fledged game. Yeah, I think a, a lot of um a lot of good good game design comes down to like prototyping, like doing a lot of prototyping. Yeah. Like um, and I think that's kind of where the route that Rare took. Like I wasn't there, obviously, for that that duration of the the development. But like looking at it, it's it's obvious that they basically went into Unity. They took a lot of like they they uh, connected together a lot of like small and quick mechanics. Um, they didn't make it visually pleasing. They didn't go through and like spend the time to to pretty it up, right? Like they just mm-hmm. kept building and kept trying new things. And that was the like 
the kind of the kind of playful aspect of it. Like they were basically like, does this thing connect with this thing? And they just kept going and going and going and packing into this product um, till they found what it was that they were trying to make, which is like what CFDs basically became. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what, yeah, like what I did, right? Like you iterate, you prototype, you iterate, and then the game feel is what takes the longest, I would say. Like coming up with what a game is, it doesn't, shouldn't take that long really. Like if you start to kind of, piece together products uh, or, or mechanics you can create a game a side scrolling shoot them up whatever like mm-hmm. you know you you pretty much take the things and you go that is what the game is but then how does it feel that's where that's where the length comes in so you've got to think about like emotions you've got to think about like the visual uh and the sound and all that sort of stuff and then that's where yeah like the polish comes in but also like it can really elevate a game from just like the, the very core mechanics of it yeah and so that's kind of the same deal right like that's a i guess that's a pretty good thing right like a um analogy like Mm -hmm. yeah the game the game aspect for me in that project took a couple of days but then i spent maybe two or three times that length uh or even more in actually building the visual look of it right so it kind of it, it makes sense um yeah that's that's true so and, and I, yeah uh and you this is yep. something that you're kind of looking to to actually gain from your experience with rare right you're you're looking to actually get more uh more kind of experience working on building game and designing games and and kind of bridging that with the work that you're doing on the community side of it too right this is this is kind of your your goal for what what you wanted to do to go out there um definitely can you can you kind of explain what it was like uh like applying for rare and and um I'm, i'm really curious like what was the point in in the last year that you decided that you wanted to move to england to to work for rare yeah right okay so that's uh it's an interesting story. I'll I'll try and quickly breeze past some of the origins of it because mm-hmm. um, I think that's kind of common knowledge at this point. Like a few people are, are aware of it, and if not, the hopefully the footnote here will will make sense. But basically, yeah, my my kind of early days with Rare um, was like I saw Sea of Thieves at E3 uh, twenty or oh, is it twenty sixteen now? I think, I think it was twenty sixteen. Yeah, uh, and as soon as I saw it the first thing I did was I jumped online. I, I searched the name, like E3 was still happening and I searched for Sea of Thieves. I found the forums, logged into the forums and was like, and posted, I, I, I swear, and uh, this is my claim to fame, I say, but I was probably the first person outside of Rare to log into the forums, um, <laughs> which is a bit, it's, which is a weird flex, but it's uh, <laughs> pretty much, um, I jumped in straight away. I created a topic being like, oh my God, the, the, the hype ship is running or something like that. Like just, I don't know, something stupid. Um, And that's where it started and that's where it stayed. So then over the years of learning more about what Sea of Thieves was or was becoming, um, I was there in the community. I was commenting, I was making topics. We were speculating, we were doing all this stuff. And it was pretty much like it consumed a lot of my, um, a lot of my, personal time because it's it, like it was a, a, a an awesome topic and the community was just so involved and so mm-hmm. um i guess like so vibrant there was a lot like a, it was a very diverse community but everyone got along so well so i made a lot of good friends yeah um at one point uh 
Mr. Mr. Cameron Thomas, uh, good man or young tuck. He, uh, he came to me and said, I see that you're doing a lot of stuff in the community. I wanted to know if you'd like to be involved in this program we're coming up with called the deckhands. And I was like, okay, what's that? And it, it I mean, to be fair at that point, all it really was, was like essentially community moderator. It was yeah. someone to just kind of keep an eye on the, uh, the community. Um, someone steps out of line, moderate. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm already here. I'm already kind of doing that anyway. Um, might as well put a title to it. So I joined forces with um, Kat and and Knight and uh, Runic and a few others. Like that was kind of the oh, and um, one Falcon as well. So yeah. there was a, a few of us. We 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 band together and we just kind of rolled with that and and got got to help Rare in in that way. Um, fast forward a bit of time. So we, I was doing the deckhand program for a while. We grew that program. More people joined in. Um, the community kept going. The game launches, right? So the game is out. Everyone knows what Sea Thieves is now. Yeah. The the speculation thing kind of turns from speculation more to feedback mm-hmm. and turns to um, people suggesting things for further development. Big surprise. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm still kind of keeping in tabs with with Rare, helping them out, but my my involvement in the forums did kind of slow off a little bit because life got in the way. Um, some big things in life were happening, so I was taking on school, like I was going taking myself through design, um, like design courses, and I'm doing a diploma at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and going through all of that, right? Like all 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 of that. Sort of stuff. I kind of thought to myself, right? I've been working at Apple for ten years, um, and I, I think ten years is enough. Like that, that is kind of where I'm going to close it off here. I'm kind of done with what I'm doing. I don't want to do it anymore. It's becoming too mundane, too the same. Mm-hmm. So, I thought to myself, I'm going to move away. And in, initially, it was like move away within Australia. I wasn't going to just like move to another country. Yeah. Um, but I was basically like, I'm ready for change. I want to do something different. So I took that, um, started looking around, checking things out. One of my friends um, who I'm actually living with here in the UK, he was like, I'm going to move to the UK. He's like, I'm moving there. I'm going to do something different for a while. And I was like, dude, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to tag along. I'm going to follow you on that path. So Rare was never a part of the equation um, at this point. Like it was me being like, I'm going to move away. I'm going to do something else. Um, and pretty much through that, I, I kind of mentioned this to Emma, um, Emma Bridal, the community manager. Um, or she basically, she basically like chatted to me, was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, so I'm like planning to move to the UK next year. And it was all kind of very like high level concept mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Um, but I just said to her, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at moving over. And then I was like, oh, you know, by any chance, would there be any jobs going that I could potentially apply for, right? Like I just asked the question. Um, and I just asked if she could pull together a few job titles or something that I could get a resume for and start like pumping in um, applications. Because yeah. I, thought, I, I thought like while I'm there, I might as well. But again, like it wasn't something I was like, I'm going to the UK because I'm going to work at Rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of like, eh, I'll try. Um, so anyways, Emma was like, I'm going to take that and let me have a think about it. I'll see what I can find for you and I'll come back. 
So she she went away for a bit. Life continued on. Um, and then it got to a point where I was like, I never actually did hear back from Emma. I should probably, you know, maybe get in contact with her and just remind her that I was still looking to see if there's any jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but as pretty much I'm having this thought, she gets in contact with me. And uh, Emma was like, she's like, oh, do you have do you have time to chat? And I was like, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Like this was probably midnight or something like that <laughs> for me back home. Yeah. Um, and I only just had friends leave for the night. Like we had friends around to play like Switch games or multiplayer, mm-hmm. some, some multiplayer stuff. So everyone went home and I was about to get ready for bed. But she's like, oh, do you have a quick time to chat? And I was like, yeah, okay. So jump into a call. And she's like, hey, just wanted to, you know, talk to you in person. Uh, well, in person, air quotes. Uh, right. But like. <laughs> it's good enough. She's nowadays. like, I want to I talk to. Yeah, yeah, right. Like she goes, I want to talk to you about this. Um, we want to offer you an internship. So the internship came to me, right? Like it, I didn't actually apply for that. Um, oh, and, cool. I, you know, without without Emma, I definitely would not be here. So I, I owe her like a hell of a lot. And she's um, been so so welcoming and just like the, a top, top person. Like, um, yeah, she's great. So yeah, she's aces. basically she's like, she's like, okay, we want to offer you this internship. It's a, um, it's a design and community internship, um, which is very cool. And it pretty much like, like, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Right. Like that was unheard of. I wasn't expecting to have that, um, that offer come to me at that point because it was one of those things, right? Like obviously in the real world, you, you apply for a job, you put your name forward for that job and then you have to go through a series of things, right? Yeah. There's a big process to it. Yeah. But like having it just offered up front, like it, I was like, what? That's so weird. But also very exciting. But then I thought about it afterwards and it's like, well, no, the, my job interview was the last two years. Mm-hmm. My job interview was like working alongside Rare inside the community, um, you know, in that capacity. So they knew what I was capable of. They knew what I had to offer. Um, Which So it kind of made sense in a way that they didn't go through an interview process. Like they essentially already had that knowledge on me. Just, just to kind um, of take a moment uh, to kind of like, I, I just want to emphasize the fact that you being a deckhand and moderating the forums, even even in a lower state where you're you're having to go to school and stuff, you're you're literally taking on a lot of responsibility that would go to a community manager at, at any company and making sure that you're helping take care of the of the the health and the morale of a community for a game that it's literally you're just really passionate about it. You're you're basically interning for them without the without actually having like the 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 paycheck for it so in in a sense like them them you saying that you know you've been you've been kind of interviewing for them you've been doing a lot more than just interviewing for them for the last couple years i don't i don't want to undercut the fact that you're the the amount of effort that goes into being a deckhand is rather high in my opinion and takes a lot of uh, dedication to to maintaining uh, that that status and, and keeping up on forums and, and still having fun over the course of the last two years to make sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. So definitely, and like, yeah, appreciate appreciate you saying that, dude. That's that's um, it's really kind. The um, again, I guess you're right. Like, it, it is it is a fair lot, of, like a lot of work. But to all the people that are doing that, like, 
it's fun they do it for the love yeah it's yeah like they're doing it because it's it's enjoyable um you know there's highs and lows and everything but like it, it's it's con- continuously like way more engaging and way more fun than it is bad so um yeah it's it's good and uh, yeah so i guess that was kind of it like the rest is history after that like the the internship offer came in um i couldn't i couldn't talk about it for a while actually because i was trying to get my uh visa all lined up and, and squared off yeah um, and I was like, there's no point in me telling everyone that I'm going to go work for rare if I can't end up going to the country. So mm-hmm. like I had to wait until the visa and everything came through. Once those things were locked in and it was guaranteed that I was going to a different country and that it was happening. I was like, right now I can talk about it. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, so my, my kind of role being split into two means that I get to do both things, right? Like I get to do community, which is what I've always been doing, but Emma realized, like, basically knew that, like, design was um, what I was interested in. So she she was able to get me a position in there as well. So I can go between the two. Um, I'm getting to to experience both ends. Um, everything's everything's school. Like I'm learning every day. It's it's yeah, it's a lot of fun. It sounds it sounds absolutely amazing. I I mean, ever since I found out about the game you know, uh, I was in and I feel bad too, because I was late to the party because I just wasn't I, I didn't have my eyes on Xbox during those years. It was solely on Nintendo and Blizzard. So like I, I missed out on on the fervor that was this game coming into fruition before launch. And now that I'm now that I'm engrossed in this in this community, in this company, it's it's amazing just the amount of of good salt of the earth people that I meet on a on a daily basis or chat with on on occasion that work at the company or are in the community and uh, to to get the opportunity to go from deckhand and I, and not just a deckhand i mean you you've actually gone to the trouble of getting coins for with a rare logo and sea of thieves uh on on the front you sent a whole bunch of these gold coins to rare as as a gift just as a as a thank you for what they've done and yeah. they come then they commemorated you in game at cannon cove they have you have a coin with a dagger in it on a barrel uh that has your gamer tag yeah, picaroon and and it's so cool like you don't i i just don't see that with other companies i don't see you know the i think the the easter egg i can name off the top of my head that is in a game that i've played recently is the tribute to robin williams in uh cataclysm for world of warcraft and yeah that he's like an a-list movie star that that passed away and and but you have an Easter egg in a game that is yeah, regular old Joe, just, just, you know, yeah. some dude from Tassie. Yeah. 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 Just in, and, and it's yep. in there and it's so, it's such a cool thing to, 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 to be able to see that. And so many people have gotten their, their, their gamer tags or their Easter eggs, um, people that have brought, brought some light and some joy to the community and having rare mm-hmm. something to do something cool like that is, is, it's just almost unheard of in my opinion. I, I, I don't hear other companies that are just like, we love our community so much that we want to immortalize them in the game uh, that they love to play. And, and that's such a cool yeah. thing. And to be able to sit down with them on a day-to-day basis and even on the weekends uh, to, to get to spend time with them, like I, I envy 
the opportunity to have a working relationship with people that I love spending time with that I would want to spend all of my time with uh, on something that I love. So I, I could not be more happier for you for for being able to get this opportunity because it's it's something that I think a lot of us uh, would would love to do. For sure, man. Like I I've obviously I'm not going to like I don't take this uh, position for granted. Like I, I, I realize on how essentially how lucky I am um, to not only be able to work alongside these people, but also get to work on something that I also enjoy. So like the, there is literally no negatives to this entire situation. And like, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate and it's kind of in, in some ways as well. Like I look at that and I go like, am I worthy of that? Like I kind of, you know, you do that whole like, um, imposter syndrome thing, right. Yep. Where you kind of go like, I should not, I should not be where I am right now. Yeah. But, um, like, uh, obviously they've seen something in me to offer me that opportunity. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste that time. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to make them, well, make the most of the time they've, they've given me. So then that way I can, I can grow and develop um, my own skill set. So, yeah. And it's like back to your point on the, the player immortalization stuff, like that, that, program to me is very very um near and dear to my heart so it's something i take a lot of like uh, like a, i pay a lot of attention to that that aspect of the game because i guess like you at the time when i found out i was in the game that was my greatest achievement that was my greatest gaming achievement like yeah um you you sometimes sit there and you see people be like my greatest gaming achievement is like defeating this really hard boss or <laughs> like getting my platinum trophy on this game or doing all these sort of things for me it was like having my game or oh, sorry my name or my representation in a video game um yeah and i was like it, yeah it it was crazy because come the time like initially i sent a coin to donate directly so the, to go back on that story a bit further like yeah. this was um this the coin thing was kind of a two-parter so the initial coin was a lot bigger it was a it was kind of uh it was kind of more like a metal essentially like hmm. the size of a metal okay um and the the idea for that kind of came in because a friend of mine was going to comic-con and Sea of Thieves had a panel there, which is one of the first panels they did um, on the game. And so my friend was like heading over and he's like, oh, I'm going to go check out the Sea of Thieves thing. And I was like, me as a fan was very like much like, oh man, I wish I could be there. I thought maybe I could do something. I could make something for the developers. I could give them a gift or say thank you. Yeah. So, and you, and, and use him as courier. So like he can get it there. Nice. So I pretty much um, had a 3D printer. Um, I was like, I, don't, I was hardly using it at the time. Like it was just kind of sitting there. So I thought, oh, maybe I could do something with the 3D printer. And so I started like, you know, looking at things to do, like what could I build something quick? Cause I've got to do it in like a week. Right. Cause my mates, my mates flying away. Now this was very last minute. Right. Anyways, I jumped into a, um, into Maya and started like building stuff in 3D and, and, then the idea for the coin came in. So I started like playing around with it. And to be fair, like the model was quite simple, but I drew it and designed it in a way that it would fit the theming for Sea of Thieves, like yeah. having the little, the cracks in the sides of the coin and being a bit wonky and all that sort of stuff, like making sure that it kind of fit the aesthetic still. Yeah. Um, so I did that 
uh, I drew it on paper, like I got a pen and I, I basically with like a permanent marker drew the shape, scanned the shape into the computer and then built it in 3d. So I basically was sketching over my own drawings. Um, it's also, once I'd done, that's a pretty common well, yeah, thing. Sorry, I, 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 it's funny too. Cause I, when I was going to college, that was exactly what we did uh, with Myos. We, we literally would draw out our character design, scan it into a computer, put it on a couple planes, and then we would model everything mm-hmm. around that. Yep. And it, it's, it's funny how the, it's the best, it's the best way to do it. Right. Cause like yeah. that's the reference, like you're using, you're using reference material to make sure that the product stays true to what you were thinking, like what you're designing helps a lot. But yeah. So like, I mean, this was very low key. It's like a very simple thing, but like it was f- a lot of fun to do that. Um, I printed the coin. I printed the coin way too big. Like I said, it was like a metal. It wasn't really a coin <laughs> at all. Um, it's like a medallion almost. Uh, so I printed that, I sanded it slightly, but I didn't pay enough attention to the sanding of it. And then I painted it and I got one of my friends, one of my best friends to help me with the painting because he was very much into like the Warhammer painting and and stuff like that. So he kind of helped me there because that was not really my strength as well, like paint and stuff. I could just slap some paint on it, but it probably wouldn't have come out as nice as it did. Yeah. So um, got him to help, uh, handed it to my friend my friend went to the Comic-Con panel and handed it to Joe Neat. Um, you know, Joe Neat was like, you know, thank you so much to my friend. My friend basically took a photo, um, told me all about the interaction. And I was just like, man, that's so cool. Like I've, I've just given a gift to, to the developers. Um, and that was that, like, that was the end of it. They, they posted the picture of it on social media. So it's out yeah. on Twitter. And that was like, oh my God, that Rares shared a thing that I made. That's so cool. <laughs> like, yeah, that was another one of those like, oh my God moments, right? Like yeah. a company has just shared my name and shared my product uh, on a channel, like on a, an official channel. Right. And I was like, oh my God, that's so, so cool. cool. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so that was like highlight number one. And then like later on, it was like highlight changed to being the fact that I was in the game. So, um, but yeah, then some months went by. Um, the alphas, the betas and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. were out. Um, and so I was playing in an internal session. Um, I, I forget which, and it probably doesn't matter which one it was, but I was playing in a session and as deckhands, we were told, um, that basically some of these Easter eggs, like these player immortalizations existed, right. And we had, we had seen it before, like it was common knowledge at this point that rare was doing it. Mm -hmm. So they had like the the Hallower one on the um, Fairy of the Damned, yeah. which was one of the first things. Um, I think that was actually the first yeah, one it was. that they did. And then they kind of went on and did like two or three others after that, right? So they had already set this kind of language that this was something they were doing. And um, so, yeah, as 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 um, we had a direct connection to the developers, we were told that there was a couple that had not been found yet and they'd been in the game for a while. And we're like, oh, really? Like that that was like really quite cool. We're like, oh my God, like there's, there's something out there that no one's found yet. We need to find it, right? That's um, so funny because that's actually something that just happened this last week. <laughs> exactly. But- and this is why I love that it still happens, right? Yeah. Like it's so cool. Um, and so... And and then that's why exactly like the recent event of this, like where we've had like three or four new ones added in and the community went wild in finding them. Yeah. Like 
um, the fact that that is still happening and the fact that those people got to then experience what I experienced, um, it, like it, it brought me back to that moment. And man, it, it, like I kind of, in a way, I actually kind of teared up a little bit. I was like, oh man, that is so cool. Like I love that these guys are having such a good time with it. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like back to, yes, yeah, uh, so back to where I was at with it, right? Basically, we were like, it's time. We're going to find this thing. <laughs> so we internally, like us deckhands, we, we, wrote up a bunch of Islander names. We wrote up a bunch of places and then we basically went on the hunt. And every time we scanned an Island, like we would like scour it top to bottom. We would tick off the, the Island in the list and we're like, right, I've checked out this Island. Don't worry about that Island. Go back to the next one. All right. <laughs> so we're trying to like cover the entire world and see what we could find. Anyways, um, it just so happened that I discovered my own Easter egg. Oh, uh, that's cool. Just, just, yeah man like no one else like that was one of the things right because like this was all internal stuff so it, it was like a very low population playing like yeah. there's not many people playing it at, at that point so um i was playing with a good friend of mine runic um who who was part of the deckhand program back in the day um a new zealander as well so he was on my time zone um so him and I played together and we were like helping each other out to try and find these Easter eggs that existed. Um, and yeah, so we was, we're on Cannon Cove. We're scanning around, checking the place out. Um, and I had been in the cave inside Cannon Cove so many times by this point. Like I had run in there and ran out mm -hmm. often like over and over again. So honestly, I have no idea how I did not find this up until now. But <laughs> this last time I was like, okay, scanning the walls scanning the rocks just looking at everything and then i walk up to the barrel in the middle and i see this little dagger and i'm like oh that's interesting so i raise my lantern uh to find the aaron lee which at the time was my gamer tag um and is still my social handle um on twitter that's so cool i saw the aaron lee sketched into this barrel and then I looked closer at the dagger and I could see the little gold coin that I'd just made months prior yeah. uh, for Joe Neat. And I was like, oh my God, I stopped. I went silent. My heart started racing and I was like, no way, dude. Like, and I'm pretty sure I cried. I, I, I mean, I, like, I'm pretty sure I cried. I can't remember, but like, I just remember <laughs> being overwhelmed with like emotion oh, and and I'm sitting there like, holy crap. And I said to Runic, because he was still searching the island somewhere else. I was like, Runic, dude. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I found it. And he's like, because like I couldn't talk. Like I was just struggling so hard to like get words out. And he's like, where are you? Where are you? I'm like in the, in the cave in the center of the island. And so he's, he comes rushing in and he looks at it and he goes, no way, dude. And I'm just like, I know. Like, oh, my God. And so we just like fanboyed for a while. Um, and like... Yeah, had never never experienced something like that. Like that was uh, so that cool. was overwhelming. I but uh, I just got to so see, like uh, with that right. We we couldn't um like oh, sorry just to close that yeah. off. Basically, like I found it, but I couldn't tell anyone about it because it was internal testing. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't take te I couldn't take images. I couldn't do anything with it. Oh. I basically just had to sit on the fact that I that I had the singing game. But thankfully, sometime after that, Rare did like a um a public slideshow um event i forget what it was it was like an xbox event um i think and they pretty much 
took a, a slideshow of all the different player immortalizations that they had done at the time yeah. and then they put a little context on it and they showed it so as that image was then shown publicly i basically was able to take that image that they took and extract it and then start showing it off on social media so that was when i could tell like my friends and and family and stuff on like facebook and all that sort of stuff so i had to wait like a few months for that to happen <laughs> so it was the hardest thing to like keep oh, that thing man. quiet but like Oh man, it, it was real good. Uh, anyways, you were about to say. Oh man, I I just got to see that ex- that experience from uh, like I've gotten a chance to see it from a couple of people, but I was watching uh, Chalk Muju's um, stream yeah, the other nice. day, and it was her first excursion out uh, since the update, and she was heading out to actually go see the 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 Allegiant. Uh, the ship on the finest trading trading post and to see her expression like as as her and her father like got got to the actual sea post and to see it it was just it was so beautiful and so amazing I was so excited for her and I I got the I got to see the I got to to kind of uh, talk to um, Captain Jay uh, from the crow's nest as well like finally getting him to see his uh crow's nest logo in the game it was just it was so beautiful of of an event mm-hmm. to, to to see them just so elated uh that you know that they they'd gotten their their mark in the game and, and that they had gotten a chance to be immortalized as such a such an awesome thing um yeah man it's uh it is just like it's surreal and i'm i'm actually upset that i missed uh that chokmuju uh moment i'm gonna have to go look at that up and see if i can find it yeah um because that that one to me was also uh yeah like it was a bit special because the the um the team at rare really appreciated that that allegiance ship like it was it kind of came in at a time where like the, there was fires happening everywhere like everyone was go 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 yeah. get this thing ready for um get this thing ready for the the anniversary update right oh yeah um and so like everyone's hustling and bustling but then it gave us all the time to like be able to slow down and go oh like oh my god and then read through the stories and the thanks and all that sort of stuff from the community like it, it meant a lot to the studio um you could tell that like yeah, anybody that kind of interacted with the, with the ship and, and had a look at it just, yeah. Yeah. Very, very grateful. Yeah. She did a, so. a great job making it and, and kind of co- coalescing all the stories and stuff. And, and the, the community really came together and uh, uh, made sure that whatever it took, um, it, it got to rare in time. Uh, and it's For sure. such a, a cool moment. And- go ahead. Yeah, it was it was one of those things like um, when like I, part of some conversations that I was I was a part of and things that I got to discuss. We talked about um, like we it was obvious that we wanted to do something for for Chok Muju. We wanted to we wanted to represent that community sentiment in the game. Like it was obviously a big thing. It was a lot of people got that ship into the studio. Like it took took not just one person but like many. So. Yeah we we were like we have to obviously we have to do something for this like there's that that's a given um there was discussions where we were like do we put chok muju's name on the ship do we put the allegiant on the ship and we're like you know that that discussion took place because we were like well obviously chok muju is the person who made the ship like let's put her name directly in the game yeah but we thought because of the amount of people 
that were involved. This was not not only a thank you to her, it was a thank you to all of those people, even though we don't directly reference anybody specific. So mm-hmm. we went with the ship name because and it was good that she gave a ship name, to be honest. So that, that kind of made that decision easier. Yeah, gave you options. But um yeah, so like we were like, let's, you know, on the plaque that goes to the to the ship model, we'll put the name of the ship. Like that makes sense, right? It's it's the way to do it. Um and so yeah, although, you know, it doesn't have her name directly on it, like to the community that was involved in that event and to the people that want to seek out that information to, to learn more about what it was and what it is, um, they will then instantly find out that it's to do with her um, and they'll know exactly like what went in making that and ma- making it a possibility, right? So, yep. yeah, we thought that we thought that was more powerful. Like that was something that like the studio essentially agreed on. Um that that was the way to to handle that one, I, but yeah, no, I I'm so glad that she she enjoyed that and that the community also did. Yeah, yeah it was good. Yeah, and and you've done a great job of uh, updating the the list of all the Easter eggs that are in the game um, to, so far. <laughs> uh, so. I mean, only only just recent. Like uh, I've been so slack on that list. Well, um, it's it's to be fair, it's it's grown quite a bit in the last year. So. Yeah, it's true. But and I guess as well, like in the time that I wasn't updating it, it was for good reason. Like obviously, moving to a different country and starting at a game studio is probably reason enough to to not. I think you know keep it up to date. I think people so. can forgive that. Yeah, it doesn't seem. Yeah, exactly. Like too, yeah, yeah. too big a thing. Pirates. That's going to do it for this episode of Keel Hall Podcast. If you made it to the end and you enjoyed the interview, don't forget the next half of that is going to be coming later on this week as a bonus episode, completely free of charge, no microtransactions. I hope you had a good time today. I hope you enjoyed this first half of the interview, plus the news that we got. Uh, one little bit that I do want to add, if you made it to the very end, I thought it was very interesting that the comics I mentioned last week suddenly disappeared off of amazon so if you got them congratulations if you didn't we'll probably see those later on and get a little bit more information about why we got number two but not number one and if there's a three four five who knows how many there are regardless i am excited to see what becomes of that and I'm very interested to find out if uh, if this podcast was a result of that going down because uh, I went to bed and it was up. And when I woke up, people couldn't find it anymore. Kind of interesting. Um, but regardless, again, I just want to make sure that you guys have the best information possible about Sea of Thieves and I don't muck it up too much. If you love this, if you liked it, Please, please help me out. If you can go to iTunes, give it a rating, give it a review, let me know. There are plenty of people that have done it in the past. And if you do so, you can end up like Katie's Ace, who on June 20th gave a five-star review. Love the content you create and all of the news you that you cover. Thank you for giving Extra Side Sea of Thieves news about things like few comics and Halo cosmetics. Also loved your E3 review. Keep up the good work. Ace, 
Thank you so much for your review. I truly, truly appreciate it. It means a lot. Uh, the next episode to come out is going to be probably around Wednesday uh, with the rest of the interview. And then I'm going to be doing the normal Sunday episode as well. Uh, if there's any leftover information from the, uh, the interview, it'll probably tie up at the end of that episode. Um, and yeah, pirates, if you want to get a hold of me, you can always do so on Twitter at C-A-P-T underscore L-O-G-U-N. You can always send me an email at C-A-P-T L-O-G-U-N at gmail.com. And you can always reach me on Xbox. My gamer tag is C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-O-G-U-N. No spaces, just straight Captain Logan. I am so excited for this. Pirates, thank you. I love you. And I look forward to sailing with you on the Sea of Thieves. Thank you.